Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I heard a story once about a church very similar to ours that was doing a capital fundraising campaign to build their new building, kind of like what we went through when we built this building you know, 11 years ago. And so there was this very wealthy man in the church, and this wealthy man was not really known for his generosity, but the leaders of the church thought that they would go talk to this man and, and maybe see if he would be generous enough to think about contributing to the financial building campaign. And so the leaders go to this man's house. They decide to share the vision with him. And so they sit down, and, and this wealthy man says, so you think you've got it all figured out, don't you? You think you've got it all figured out. You're approaching me because you think I'm the man who can give to your building fund. You really think you know about me, don't you? Well, let me just tell you some things about me. Did you know that my mother is a widow, and I am her only source of support She has to totally rely upon me for all of her income. Did you know that my sister was married to an alcoholic who abused her, and he just left her for another woman, and she now has five kids, and she has no means of support? I'm her only source of support. And did you know that my brother had major surgery, and he had to go and spend weeks in the hospital, and insurance would not cover it, and now he's coming to me for help, and I need to help him with his hospital bills. And did you know my son just filed for bankruptcy because he made some really bad investment choices, and now he wants me to bail him out? Did you know these things about me? And the leaders of the church were a little sheepish. They were a little embarrassed, like, I guess we didn't know these things about him. We probably shouldn't have asked him. I didn't know he had all these financial troubles. And the wealthy man said this to them, I've never given any of them a dime of my money, and why should I start by giving those money to the church, (laughs) giving anything to the church? Wow. Talk about a man that's not very generous. Perhaps you've heard of Chuck Feeney. Maybe you don't know who Chuck Feeney is. Chuck Feeney is a 90-year-old billionaire. He's called the James Bond of philanthropists and those that give to charity. Over the years, he has secretly given away millions of dollars. And back in the late 70s, he was finally found out. He used to give things away secretly. But he's given away $8 billion to date. And one of his goals is to die broke without any money giving it all away. Now, sadly, most of the billions that he's given away have been to causes that we would probably not agree with, institutions, causes that we would probably not give our money to. But he's this very frugal philanthropist. How do you say frugal philanthropist fast? Anybody want to try that? Frugal philanthropist. According to the New York Times article in 2017, until he was 75 years old, he only traveled in coach, and he carried his reading materials in a plastic bag. He does not own a car or a house, and he wears a $10 Casio watch. 
Now, what a contrast of two men. One was a wealthy man who was a churchgoer who was very cold-hearted and not generous at all. The other, a man that was probably has, has no belief in Christ, gives a lot of money away to liberal causes, but is very, very generous with his money, has given more than $8 billion to charity. A contrast in two men. Now, why do I bring up wealth, riches, generosity, stinginess, and greed? Well, the reason I bring it up is because I don't have a choice. Jesus brings it up. And when you do expositional preaching verse by verse, you got to go with what's next in the text. And so last week, we struggled with blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This week is the parable of the rich fool. So I want you to look with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's the main point of this passage of Scripture. Here's the big idea. Greed will enslave you, but generosity will free you. Greed will enslave you, but generosity will free you. Now this brings up some questions that I hope to answer this morning. You're probably thinking, well, how does greed enslave me? How am I enslaved by greed? Or how does generosity free me? Free me from what? We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to explore this passage of Scripture from four parts. Four kind of divisions. Four, four ways we're going to break up this text this morning. And So the first thing we're going to look at is, first we see the selfish request. The selfish request of this man. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, at first glance... This, this question is kind of out of the blue, because what has Jesus been talking about for the past few weeks that we've been looking at? He's been rebuking the religious leaders, those six woes that he pronounces on the Pharisees. He's talked about the reality of hell. He's talked about fear of man. He's talked about denying Christ before men, confessing Christ before men. Last week, he talked about committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's been talking about deeply spiritual, deeply eternal things, things that have grave consequences. And this man, who has no real self-awareness, stands up and asks a pretty stupid question. If you could ask Jesus any question after all of this deep teaching, on hell, on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, on all these things, what question would you ask? This man stands up and says, Jesus, I want half of my inheritance. Tell my brother to give it to me. How 
lacking in self-awareness. It's not really a question, it's more of an ordering. He's ordering Jesus, telling Jesus what to do. You see, he's focused on temporary things, he's focused on worldly things, he's focused on temporal things, he's not focused on eternal things. Materialism, wealth, riches. He should have been processing what Jesus said about hell. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, hypocrisy of the heart, confessing Jesus before men. These are the things that should have been sticking in this man's mind, but he stands up and basically he has this materialistic attitude of Jesus be the arbiter, Jesus be the judge, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This man's gaze was not on things that were above. They were on things of the earth. So it's a really kind of stupid, selfish request. After all of this discussion that Jesus and this teaching that Jesus has on these deeply spiritual, eternal matters. Now, second, we see the serious warning. We see this in verse 15. He said to them, take care and be on guard. Take care. Pay very close attention. Have your eyes constantly focused is what Jesus is saying. Be on the constant lookout. And then he says, be on guard. Literally, that word means to keep someone in custody. And the way it's worded in the original language is keep yourself under custody. Make sure that you don't get out of jail, if you will. You be guarding yourself. Be focused. Pay attention to what? What does Jesus say? Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness. Interesting word in the original language. It means insatiable greed, unquenchable thirst for more and more stuff, an uncontrollable lust for more, to yearn, to desire, to crave what you don't have, to just want more and more and more and more stuff. Sometimes to the degree that you may harm somebody else to get there. Coveting has infamously been called the green-eyed monster. It goes all the way back to Shakespeare. He first coined the phrase in his play, Othello. Uh, Iago the villain uttered these words, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. The green-eyed monster of envy, jealousy, coveting. You know, coveting is the Tenth Commandment. What does the Tenth Commandment teach? How does it define coveting? Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. This goes to the heart of greed. Well, he has a bigger house than I do. He's got a bigger screen plasma HD TV than I do. 
He's got the state-of-the-art entertainment system that's bigger than mine. He has a new boat. And I live in a dump. And I don't have any of the stuff that he has. If only I could have what he has. Your neighbor's wife. That goes to the heart of lust. His wife's hot. His wife's awesome. She's beautiful. Or you as a wife say, well, my husband's a couch potato and her husband's got washboard abs. I mean, look what she's got. I'm stuck with this guy that, you know, eats potato chips and watches football and I wish I had her looks. Your neighbor's possessions. It goes to materialism. They take better vacations than I do. They've got better toys than I do. They've got a better job than I do. Their kids are always on the honor roll. And then the 10th commandment says anything that belongs to your neighbor, which kind of closes a loophole. Coveting. All manner of coveting, Jesus says. Be aware. Be on guard. Guard your heart. Psalm 10, verse 3. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. The one greedy for gain. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. A couple years ago, a professor at Harvard Business School did a research project. He personally interviewed over 2,000 people who were millionaires. They at least had a, a, a net worth of $1 million, going all the way up to billionaires. And he, he interviewed 2,000 of these people. And he basically asked the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? And then he asked the second question, okay, how much more money would you need to get to a 10? Because none of them were at the 10. How much more money would you need to get at the 10? And he said, the researcher said, quote, all the way up the income wealth spectrum, basically everyone said they would need two or three times as much to be perfectly happy. You're never happy. You're never happy. Ephesians 5, 5. You may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness or who's covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's interesting how Paul calls coveting idolatry. Idolatry. Colossians 3.5 Put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, the same word that Jesus uses there, which is idolatry. Coveting. Idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.9-10 but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. I want you to notice that. That, that verse is often mistranslated. It's money's not the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many pangs. Then Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I could go on and on, but the Bible is very clear that coveting, greed, is a basic sin against the living God. And Jesus here says, be on guard, watch your life, make sure, pay close attention that you don't give in to all manner of covetousness. And then he says, at the end of verse 15, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There are many different Greek words for life. One of those is the Greek word bios, where we get the word biology, just physical life. That's not the word Jesus uses here. He uses the Greek word zoe, which means true life, eternal life. What he's saying is this, as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given true, spiritual, abundant life. And that life is not to be consist in an abundance of possessions. Not living for the things of this world. 1 John 2, 16-17 For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Luke 9, 24-25 Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, his life? John 10.10 10. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That true, spiritual, eternal, abundant life. Romans 14, 7-8, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. So Jesus is very clear here that your life, if you're a Christian, your spiritual, abundant, God-given life is more than just accumulating possessions. It's more than just wanting to pile on more and more stuff. And Jesus says you need to be on guard against that. You need to watch yourself for that. That insatiable desire to accumulate more and more and more and more. So Jesus gives the warning. But then, as a good teacher, Jesus not only gives the warning, but the third thing we, we see here is he tells a parable. He tells a story of the foolish man who was rich. So the third thing we see here is the story or the parable of the rich fool. Now, this parable reveals a lot of things about this man. So this is the, big, the third big ticket item this morning, the, the parable. But underneath this big third thing, we're going to look at some things that, 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 this, that reveals about this man. So the first thing we see about this man, this is under category three if you're taking notes. He was oblivious to God's blessing. Read the text carefully. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, The land... The land of a rich man produced plentifully. The land produced. It was completely God's blessing upon this man. Nowhere in this parable is the man faulted for being rich. 
Nowhere in this parable does the man get, get, get money or get, get goods by dishonest gain. There's, it's, there's nothing wrong with him being wealthy. It doesn't say he's dishonest. What happens is the, the, the land produces a bumper crop. You farmers know this well. You must totally rely upon God's grace with your crops. I don't know a lot about it, but I've been, I've been here long enough and heard, and heard, heard you talk and, and, and visited with you. If it's too moist or if it's not moist enough, if it freezes too early, if there's a hailstorm, you and your crops are totally dependent upon the goodness of God, whether you're going to have a good crop, whether you're going to have a bumper crop, or whether it's not going to be that good. And so this man is graced by God with land that produces plentifully. God blesses this man. God gives this man a bumper crop, and he doesn't thank God. He doesn't acknowledge God. Ecclesiastes 5.19, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. God's given you wealth and possessions. It's a gift of God. This bumper crop is a gift of God. James 3.27 just as John the Baptist, he said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given from him from heaven. This man received a gift from heaven that the, the land produced plentifully. It was a bumper crop. Matthew 5, 45, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is sending rain on the unjust, giving him this great bumper crop. And the man does not acknowledge God. He's prideful. He's oblivious to God's blessing. The second thing we see about this man, he's anxious to protect his stuff. He's anxious to protect his stuff. Look at verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? There's some angst there. What am I going to do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I've got this huge bumper crop. Instead of stopping and thanking the Lord, he's like, what am I going to do? I'm panicking. I, I have nowhere to put them. He said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there will I store my grain and all my goods. He's anxious, and he's been blessed. But instead of stopping and thanking God or praying or seeking wisdom, he begins to panic and think, I've got to do something with this bumper crop. I want to protect my stuff. The stuff that I didn't really earn, the stuff that I didn't really produce, the stuff that God blessed me with in the land. Third, he was excessively self-indulgent. I want you to count. You can get this in, in, in the original text, but in verse 18, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. You got eight eyes and four mys. Me, my, my, I, I. I'm going to just tear down my barns, and I'll make bigger ones. No big deal. I don't care about anything else but making sure I don't lose what I got. I got to get more and more stuff. I got to make room for more and more stuff. Do you realize? I'm not saying anything against storage units. I think we're the only nation that has storage units for the extra stuff that we have. Not against it. You need it. But I've been to South Asia and I've been to Nicaragua and you don't really see storage units around there. It's only in affluent countries that we need to store the extra things that we have. And then he's got this false sense of security. 
Look at verse 19. I'll say to my soul, my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Hey, this, this is great. This great bumper crop is going to last you for a long time. You can go into early retirement, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Don't have a care in the world. You got them stored away. Just enjoy the good life. But here's the fourth thing we see about this man. Sadly, he was an atheist at heart. He was an atheist. He never thanks God. He never praises God. He never gives credit to God's blessing. He never stops and prays to God about what he should do with it. He never thinks about giving it away. He never seeks godly counsel. He does not, God does not enter anywhere into the equation into this man's thinking. He's operating as if there's no God. He's covetous. He's greedy. And how does God respond to him? Pretty strong language. Look at verse 20. This is God speaking to the man. God said to him, fool. Fool. That's strong language. Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does God calls him a fool because a fool in his heart says there is no God. He's operating as if there is no God. Not worshiping God, not praising God, not thanking God, not crediting God. And God says, you're a fool. And tonight, this very night, your soul will be required of you. You see, he thought he had everything under control. Really, in this whole story, he never had control because... The land produced bountifully. It was, a, it was a blessing of God. But he thought he had to control his crops. He thought he had to control his life. I've got everything worked out. i got my barns. I'm living the good life. I'm in control. I'm the one that's in charge. I have no worries. He wasn't thinking Psalm 39, 4-5. Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what's the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. He's not thinking about eternal matters. He's not thinking about the brevity of life. He's not thinking about blessing the blessings that God has given him. He's just thinking, listen, I, I, I got a great gig here. I've got more than I need. I'm just going to eat, relax, and be merry. And, and God says, you fool. This very night, your life is required. Very interesting word, the original language. That word required was used of a banker calling in a loan to be paid in full. God's the banker and says, time for your loan to be paid in full. It's not money, it's your life. And you're going to die this very night. Because who's really in control? God's in control. You fool. And then he says... The things you've prepared, whose will they be? This man dies lonely. Nobody to share his stuff with. He dies a lonely miser. God took his life. He gave no credit to God. He was a lonely, wealthy, greedy man who had nobody to share his wealth with. Psalm 49.10 For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Now, one of the things you need to know about parables 
It's an important interpretation of parables. What usually comes at the end is the most important. Jesus' last statement is usually the punchline. It's usually the, where he's, he's hammering home. Whatever's usually last in the parable. And so this is the fourth thing we're going to look at is this very last statement. We hear fourth this morning the stark reality. Look at verse 21. He's told the parable. He's told us to be on guard. He's addressed this guy that asked the dumb question, and here's where he brings it all together with the stark reality. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. He laid up treasures for himself. He lived for himself. He was the epitome of covetousness and greed. He was consumed by getting more and more and more and more. He was a hoarder and a miser. He was not rich toward God. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. The point of this parable is not that the man was wealthy. God had blessed him with wealth. The point was that he did not acknowledge that wealth coming from God. Listen to what Paul tells those who are rich in this present age. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I think Paul was thinking about this parable when he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing that because some of the language is the same. Life, laying up treasures. Notice that Jesus here in this parable doesn't say be rich towards others. Now, we are to be rich towards others, generous towards others, but notice what he says. Rich toward God. You see, ultimately, the financial blessings that God gives us are so that we can bless him back as the ultimate giver of those gifts. Are you rich toward yourself? Or are you rich toward God? In Matthew 6, 19-21, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to talk more about that next week. See, here's the issue. The issue is not the amount. The issue is not the amount. The issue is the heart. The attitude of the heart. Because at the end of the day, everything is a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. This man was blessed with a bumper crop that was a gift from God. You see, greed is focused on the temporary. Generosity is focused on the eternal. Greed is selfish. Generosity is selfless. Greed will enslave you. You'll be like this man. It'll lead to fear, anxiety, angst. You're not content. You want to store up things. You want to control things. It will enslave you. Generosity will free you. 
It'll free you to be a blessing to others. It will free you financially. It'll free you to be obedient. Now, I want to make this somewhat uncomfortable this morning. You're like, Pastor Sean, you're moving from preaching to meddling. But I do want to draw your attention to something that I need to draw your attention to. If you do look at your bulletin this morning, you may want to pull that out. We are currently $19,418 behind our budget. Almost $20,000 if you round up. Which is very interesting to me because last year during COVID, we ended the year ahead of budget. And we don't know the reasons why as elders. I know there's been a lot of inflation this year. There's, there's a supply chain. There's, there's job uncertainty. We don't know because I don't know who gives what. And I don't, I don't want to know who gives what. All I know is that we're falling behind at a pace that we haven't seen in a long time. 19,000 behind. And each year in December, we vote on what our budget's going to be for the next year. And so back in December of last year, we voted on what our budget was going to be this year. And so it is a concern to us as leaders of the church that we're behind. And we don't know the reasons why, and, and, and there could be multiple different reasons why. And so we're praying about next year's budget because we're going to have to vote here in a few weeks upon next year's budget. And so I just want to draw your attention to that because I want us to be very clear that we should be rich toward God. Proverbs 3.9 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Again, it's not the amount. It's the attitude of the heart. Malachi 3, 8, and 9, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Tithes and contributions, honor the Lord with your wealth. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. That's why we take an offering. The first day of the week, Lord's Day, Sunday, we take an offering, the way they did in the early church. And then Paul makes it sound like you give out of your income. You, you, you give in proportion of what your income is. And again, it's not the amount, it is the, the heart. I would say this, if the Old Testament, where Jesus did not die for their sins in the sense that they had the sacrificial system, if 10% was the bare minimum in the Old Covenant, I'm not going to be legalistic and say that we have to give 10% in the New Covenant, but I would say it's a bare minimum. It's at least a bare minimum. It's a good place to start at giving 10% of your income to the Lord. You don't have to guess this, but maybe you want to guess for years, studies have come out every year about evangelical Christians' attitudes toward tithing, towards giving financially. Do you know the percentage of American Christians who practice tithing? Does anybody want to guess? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? 4%. The average. Acts 11, 29 through 30. 
So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They gave according to their ability. Again, it's not the amount. It's the proportion. It's the ability. It's the generosity of the heart. Probably the best passage on giving is from 2 Corinthians 9, 5-8. Paul says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an, exact, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Allow me just briefly to give a few observations from this passage about giving. First, giving is a conscious choice that springs from the heart. Giving is a conscious choice that springs from the heart. It's between you and God. You decide what you're going to give. You make that choice. It springs from the heart. But the way that Paul writes it here is that once you make that choice to give, it's kind of a choice you stick with. It's a choice that you've made from your heart to continue to do. Not intermittent, but it's a conscious choice. And then giving is not to be reluctant. Not to be out of sorrow or pain. You're not giving reluctantly. It should not distress you to give. <laughs> giving is not to be under compulsion. I can't force you to give. You know, there's some churches, like, they pass the offering plate, and the ushers count it, like, we didn't make enough, let's lock the doors. Nobody's leaving here without singing the blues. You know that song, nobody's leaving here without giving more money. Going to make it go around more. I can't force you to give. Can't, you can't give under compulsion. It's got to be something that springs from your heart. It's got to be something between you and the Lord. And then God loves a cheerful giver. It's the attitude. And then God provides for all of your needs. I think the hard part in giving, and Dwayne shared this earlier, sometimes we are scared to step out in faith and give because we think, if I make this step of faith, my needs aren't going to be provided for. How, how, how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to pay for food? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to pay that bill? How are we going to do this? Early on in our marriage... We made some really dumb financial decisions, went into major debt, working three jobs at the time. I was working two jobs, and my wife was working one job, and we were in major debt, and we did not practice financial tithing, we did not practice giving, and, and we were in major problems. Never could make ends meet. Working three jobs. Finally, it, we went down to one job, where I became a youth pastor, and we decided to tithe and give regularly. With one income, I didn't say it got, it, it got easy overnight, but with one income taken away from three, God always provided for our needs with one income when we were struggling with three, when we weren't tithing, when we went down to one income and we began tithing. And that was a step of faith. And when you do the math, you're like, how does that work? Well, God works that out. He promises to take care of our needs. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We love to put that on a bumper sticker, don't we? 
coffee mug, t-shirt. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, amen, praise the Lord. But do you realize that passage is in the context of financial giving? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even if that means being rich toward the Lord and taking that step of faith. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you are a regular giver, contributor to Emmanuel Baptist Church through the offering, I want to say thank you. Again, I don't know who gives, what, what amounts. I don't know any of that. I just want to say thank you for giving. I appreciate it. But let me just make a challenge. If you are not giving, you're not regularly contributing, I would ask you humbly to start praying about doing that. Again, I don't want to place a legalistic burden on you and tell you what to do. Again, it's a decision you have to make from the heart. But the Bible is very clear, and this parable is very clear, that we need to be rich towards God. So let me just give you one best way to start. You can go to our website, ebconline forward slash donate. I don't know hardly anybody anymore that carries around a checkbook. Some of you may do. The offering plate comes along. I don't have cash. I don't have my checkbook. There's no swiper thing to swipe my debit card. We haven't gotten that yet. Some churches put that out in the lobby, but <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. But what you can do is if you go online, you can set up an account, and you can begin to practice online giving to where you know that um, you're going to be consistent, you're going to be faithful, and you can set all that up with the password. But I encourage you to go there just as a first step. Maybe the first step would just be to set up an account on online giving and maybe just think about maybe this week I want to give X amount and, and you and your family or if you're an individual you pray about what you want to do and, and so I want to just leave you with this I can stand up here and I can say give give till you're blue in the face and I'd love to do that but I can't because that doesn't go anywhere the only way you and I give financially is when we realize how much Jesus has given to us. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus was generous. Jesus left heaven. Jesus came and shed his blood for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave it all for you. Jesus paid it all. Jesus gave everything. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He's coming back. He loves you. He saved you. He's freed you. Jesus has shown you the amazing amount of generosity. And what he's calling us to do is just in a small way to say, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to say thank you for your generosity by giving back just a small portion and being rich to my Lord in response to his generosity towards us in the cross, would we be generous back to him? Would we be rich, not towards ourselves, as Jesus says here, the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This parable is very clear. Greed will enslave you. It'll enslave you generosity will free you. It'll free you to be rich towards God. It'll free you to be rich towards others. It'll free you to be generous. It'll be free to, for you to be obedient to the Lord, to honor the Lord with your wealth. It'll, it'll, it'll be able to free you up to worship Jesus with everything. 
with everything. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Would you pray about being rich toward God in the way that he would lead you to do that? Here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and wherever God may lead you, the main point is are we rich towards our Savior because he was so rich toward us in the cross. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I'm going to ask you just to take a brief inventory of your life. Maybe this is the first time you've thought about giving in a long time, or maybe you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit about some things this morning, and maybe you need to make some commitments right there in your seat, just between you and the Lord, or maybe you need to go home and talk with your family and look at your, your budget and, and make some decisions. Again, I don't want to be legalistic and bind your conscience, but maybe God is leading you to do something as you leave this place to put it into action. So I'm going to give you a few moments just to pray and to just spend some time with the Lord, seeking His heart and looking at your own heart to see how He would lead you to be rich toward God. Would you spend some, a few moments in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank You for Your generosity. Thank You that You gave Your life for us, you died on the cross for our sins that we might be freed, we might be forgiven, we might have eternal life. Let that motivate us to respond with being rich toward you. Help us to be on guard this week against all type of covetousness. Help us not to be like the rich fool. Help us to be those that do not lay up treasures for ourselves, but lay up treasures in heaven. Would you give us soft hearts this week, Lord? And as we sit down and look at our budgets, or we sit down and maybe make some hard decisions, or we, we as a family kind of evaluate where we are, or individuals, Lord, give us wisdom. Help us. Give us grace to be obedient to what you've called us to do. Lord, I do pray for our church. I do pray for the finances of our church. Lord, I know we're running a little bit behind, and it's, it's been, it been many years since we've been in this situation, Lord, and we know that you're providing that you're a good and faithful God and we want to just trust you as we end up this, this year. But Lord, I do pray that you would just help us as a church to, to be obedient to what you've called us to be. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we honor you. May we go out in your grace and your strength this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.